welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast in which we speak with some of the brightest minds working in the media business today. I'm Chris Willman, senior writer and chief music critic with Variety. Today's guest is Aaron Dessner, a multifaceted talent who is essentially enjoying two distinct careers in the music business right now. His primary job for the last 25 years has been as a member of the very popular rock group, The National, as a multi-instrumentalist and co-writer. That band had a big burst of creativity and released two albums in 2023, as well as going out on tour. But he's been increasingly renowned for his other job as a producer for some of the most popular artists in the business. He's beloved by Swifties for helping steer Taylor Swift in a different direction with her Folkmore and Evermore albums, both released in 2020. And his work with her was further heard on the deluxe edition of her 2022 Midnight's album. He also was the producer of Ed Sheeran's two most recent albums, both released in 2023, which similarly marked a change in style for that singer. Destin doesn't just work with superstars. He got on the ground floor with Gracie Abrams, first for an EP, and then this year with her full-length debut, the album Good Riddance. That was a fruitful collaboration, as Gracie Abrams is now up for a Grammy for Best New Artist as a result of their work together. We'll talk with Destner about how he juggles all these rewarding gigs when Strictly Business comes back after the break. With our ongoing Songwriters Forward initiatives, Sony Music Publishing is expanding and enhancing support for songwriters and composers in all aspects of their development. From our recently expanded Legacy Unrecouped Balance Program to our Songwriter Assistance Offerings, we put songwriters at the forefront of everything we do. If you are a Sony Music Publishing songwriter and want to learn more about Songwriters Forward, visit sonymusicpub.com. Back with Aaron Dessner, the member of the National, who has gone on to find renown as a producer for Taylor Swift, Ed Sheeran, Gracie Abrams, and others. Well, you, you've got what many people would basically consider two careers and living the dream of, of many musicians, being in a celebrated band, and then working with some of the other most celebrated artists in the world. Uh, do you see it that way, that uh, I'm the envy of every musician I know, or do you kind of have your head down that you're not thinking, uh, wow, I'm really in this kind of elevated territory where I get to do all these incredible things. <clears throat> well, thank you. That's so sweet that you think of it that way. I think, yeah, I, I, my head is often in the weeds of just making music and trying to be creative and trying to push myself to create things, which I, you know, to, break new ground or somehow evolve and it's easy to lose sight of what you've accomplished or you know to smell the roses so to speak because it's not really my personality to sit and kind of be proud of myself and maybe that's a a, maybe I should get better at that but I mean I don't know I don't know I feel like after the, the morning after you do anything positive you know if you make any music or play any concert you know or, or finish any recording you still feel like that next morning that you 
still have to climb another mountain somehow or just or find a way to be productive and I think that's why I've I have been prolific because I don't really get stuck in a feeling of oh wow it's great all these things I've done I kind of and but it's also a little bit sad because you want to you want to slow down and sort of appreciate it also I'm, I'm trying to get better at that but um I have recently with the national started to really notice like to, to let to soak it in like to be on stage with the national and be like this is you know there's whatever twenty thousand people singing our songs in amsterdam and it's really fun you know um yeah. looking out and, and kind of being pr proud of it and, and and soaking it in and so that's um that's kind of important yeah and I'm wondering how it works for you in terms of looking ahead at your schedule. Do you look ahead by month or, or year at this point? Because, um, I, you know, we, we talk about life work balance in your case, maybe you've got life work, work part two balance. <laughs> and I know you've got three kids and you're, you're probably getting endless calls to produce. Um, especially ever since you won, you know, best, uh, album of the year Grammy with Taylor Swift for folklore and done so many great things since then. Um, very in demand, I'm sure. And, and maybe this wasn't as big an issue for you when the group went four years between albums instead of five months, like you did this. Yeah. And uh, just for the, the Ramon, the audience, the national put out two albums in uh, 2023, uh, first two pages of Frankenstein in April, followed by the surprise sequel laugh track in September. And um, when people are hearing this podcast, you will have wrapped up a U.S. leg of the tour at the end of November. Then you take a break before you start up overseas in uh, New Zealand and Australia in February. And you've got European festivals next June. But there are some breaks in there uh, at this point in the touring now that you've been on the road for a while. So do you fill in every gap with uh, production work or how do you kind of manage um, shifting between yeah. Well, I try not to fill everything up and I'm not a great planner. I'm not, I'm not a Google calendar sort of person. I do have a manager who's much more organized and, and I have, I feel like at this point I have a few really key collaborators, some of whom the world knows about and others, maybe they don't, but like people that are in my life and I frequently make things with. So a lot of times I feel it's sort of organic that you get home and, um, you know, I'll be in this space and you just end up making things with friends. And a lot of times it's just part of a work stream that already exists. So I don't, I think what's harder is to me, and that's easy because you just sort of, fall right back into it what's harder is to make time to meet new people and to kind of find time to for them to come uh visit or i visit them and you've been work together and that that's really important and um and that's the trickier thing and i do try to be a little bit thoughtful or a lot thoughtful about who those people are that you reach out to or that reach out to you and making time for it because it's always a way to grow when you encounter someone new and like have to learn what their 
way of working is and their process and their strengths and their how you might click and what the chemistry might be and um, that's where it gets really interesting um, so i've been doing that a little bit of late and i hope to do more next year um, but it is true that ever since i mean i was always busy and then when taylor and i collaborated on folklore and evermore of course she's such a lightning rod and she showed some dimension of my work that the world maybe didn't know about or something and so it did cause a lot of a lot more attention and a lot more interest and which has been really positive and really exciting and, and wonderful and it's one of the one of the amazing things about her is how she brings friend her friends and her collaborators she brings them up um both through her ways of encouraging and teaching and lending her talent you know it kind of like you feel like all of a sudden you're have a superpower but really it's partially or a lot of it is really just her ability to carve into something that you're doing um but so that's part of it. but then the other thing is that she's she's generous with introductions and you know, a feeling of encouragement and, you know, she wants her collaborators to spread their wings and do things, and you know, um, so that's been really, really amazing, you know, um, and it's a good, like, that's very much part of the community that, that sentiment is part of the community that I come out of also just this, like, all boats rise and, like, to me, the smallest project uh, is as is is as important as you know the ones that have higher pressure or bigger audiences because you never know where you're going to grow or where the magic will be made and and I listen to all the music that I've made um, and all my friends' music and just listen to everybody's music and really love I love I love the weird overlooked songs as much as the songs everybody listens to. So. Yeah, one thing I've noticed that um, just looking at these back-to-back -back national albums, I think, well, that's kind of happened for you as a producer too. There there seems to be this kind of pattern of great twofers in your life because Folklore, of course, was very quickly followed up by Evermore with you doing the, the lion's share of, of primary collaboration on both those. And then uh, Ed Sheeran did back-to-back -back albums with you very quickly. And um, in both cases, uh, it was probably great that you were available and had the time when they said, "Hey, let's let's keep this momentum going." Um, so, yeah, uh, is is that something you enjoy to to be able to reach some kind of creative peak with somebody, and then like, well, well hey, let's not wait three years for this. Let's let's uh, do something that's in a similar vein, but a, a little different at the same time as a quick follow up. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think it's like less about making new records and more just about continuing the chemistry because once you once you have a creative flow with someone or, or understand understanding and kind of curiosity where your gears are turning it's hard to shut it off and it's a little sad too so i think in the case of taylor we just kept making stuff and and i've had that experience now with a number of friends also like Gracie Abrams is just here and and 
it's great because the more you know someone the more you trust each other and you also become aware of like well we already did that let's try to what can we do, do differently um and it feels yeah it feels as opposed to just making one record and then saying goodbye that to me is always sad you know i feel like i i would prefer fewer collaborators and more projects amongst those collaborators than lots of collaborators and you know one record and then you you know move on from each other although i think it's also important like for for artists they we're all like you get you have your habits and your ways of sounding and sometimes it's hard to change unless you really radically change things and so that's why i think also sometimes people do shift or they try different they work in different spaces or i think some you know sometimes taylor jokes that the songs that she writes with me are like writing with a quill as opposed to maybe you know like in in an old way you know and even lyrically they maybe they hearken back to an earlier time as opposed to maybe songs she writes in, in with another hat on and I, I like that metaphor also and so sometimes this place long pond i feel like it's a little bit like people are stepping into the back into the 19th century or something just because like we're literally surrounded by old really old farms and old houses and there's no just countryside and you can kind of like for you can imagine you're somewhere else definitely yeah uh and of course i've talked with uh gracie about what she loved working at long pond and uh, she almost described it in kind of womb-like terms as opposed to mm. uh, the, the daily activity she's used to in, in los angeles and yeah. Uh, yeah so it sounds like part of what works there is uh just being in a kind of isolation uh, from day-to-day uh, -day life, but also your family's there. And so, you know, Gracie would talk about uh, uh, being around the kids and everything. And so maybe that uh, being around that family environment is a little bit conducive to a certain kind of music making if you're not making like industrial rock or something, which, uh, or trying to be in a really... Yeah. You know, yeah, I, think, I feel like it's easy for people to be vulnerable here because it it does feel you know the studio's 50 yards from where i live with my family and you can kind of feel you do feel like chill you can hear children you can you, you see a lot of wildlife there's literally a giant black bear that lives right above the studio in the woods and like just something about it is is kind of viscerally natural and 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 that is disarming i think as opposed to most <clears throat> most studio environments that are very there's not much air and there's not much light and you're kind of like you're in room three down the hall and there's like no windows and there's it's very impersonal um and i don't know how people do it to be honest like i i every time i'm in those situations I do struggle a little bit. So I, I, I appreciate, you know, people coming basically to stay here and maybe Gracie will stay here for a week or 10 days. And, and in that time, she'll become very comfortable and very like in her element. Um, and then the writing 
seems to really just come yeah yeah what was it like working in sort of two different kinds of situations with taylor because the first time with folklore as, as everyone knows from the lore of folklore uh it was done in, in isolation during the pandemic and then um you did uh and then the world sort of got to know long pond it, it's sort of iconic now <laughs> uh, probably uh, ironically that this place that you have out in, in the woods basically would be sort of world famous at this point because of the long pond sessions be the title of this documentary that she did there and everything um and then um uh you know i uh, it seems like uh the the follow-up album evermore was was not done exclusively sending tracks back and forth like maybe happened the first time so uh, did it did it make a, a big difference between those two albums of ha actually uh, meeting and her being at Long Pond and experiencing all that stuff together? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it was, we still do work remotely a lot because of just the nature of lives. And she has a place, yeah, you know, she spends time in New York City, but I'm two hours north of the city. So even when we've worked subsequently, it's oftentimes it is remote, but then she'll come here to record vocals. But it was, I think, from Folklore to Evermore that that then she was present here. And there was a period, there was once a week or almost a week where she was just here. Um, and it was really wonderful. It was like, it felt like real life versus this imaginary, magical life that we had had during Folklore. And suddenly, the world was opening up a little bit and um but literally the first song that was written for evermore was willow um and that was because we had visited each other to celebrate to kind of like have a moment and be like this you know we had made folklore and it was so special and um and then i as i often do i had a musical thing happened right that the music of willow just came to me and i sent it to taylor and she sent willow back fairly quickly and then it was kind of funny because we were like it was like <laughs> there was a feeling i think of like uh oh and then it just back and forth um and then there was evermore and i think um yeah but i think it's both, you know, I think that's the the great thing about getting to know people and getting to be such friends, you know, developing a friendship that's both a creative collaboration and a real friendship that you you do enjoy. It's just nice to be present sometimes with someone. And sometimes we don't work on music at all or like I just have flown in to play songs occasionally on our tour and get to experience seeing the show playing a song and it's just feels like you're mostly there as a friend you know um even though i had like a tiny role getting up there um it's mostly just a thrill to watch and experience like everybody else the tour um so but it can be i think it's good both ways and i and i i have worked remotely with a number of people at this point so it's just kind of the crazy thing about technology now how you can even just somebody singing into their iPhone sounds pretty great. <laughs> we'll be right back.
Sony Music Publishing is changing the narrative on songwriter support. More songwriters and composers around the world are making use of our songwriter assistance program. Our free confidential counseling services and wellness resources, available 24-7 in over 70 languages. If you are a Sony Music Publishing songwriter and want to learn more about songwriter assistance and the rest of our Songwriter Forward initiatives, visit sonymusicpub.com. We are back with Aaron Dessner, the multi-instrumentalist member of The National, who has become one of the most sought-after producers in music as well. Just the idea of how you work together when you do work remotely is so fascinating, and the, the fact that you send this track and she sends back this uh, top line with with lyrics, and sometimes pretty quickly, and, and I was just like reading up on uh, some of the songs I enjoy, like Tolerate It, which is currently... Uh, or recently, you know, a, a real favorite on the Ares tour, and uh, not realizing that was like in a, a 10 8 time signature. And so, uh, yeah. she doesn't balk when you send her a, a song, send a, a 10 8 time signature, she somehow fits a lyric to that and sends it right back. <laughs> Is that basically what happens? Um, yeah, I mean, the thing about the amazing thing about Taylor is she's not phased by complexity at all um and you know she's sort of run circles around it in her way it's it's, it's she, you know a lot of times the best songs are incredibly simple and repetitive and it's more about the feeling or the lyric and the melody um and then other times it's interesting when something i think I do, I do without thinking about it. I, I often write in odd time signatures just because I find it like, I find there's an emotional quality in them. So tolerate, tolerated is a very good example of that. That's, I wasn't trying to do anything that's tricky. Um, and it's only tricky if you start getting in your head about it. Um, but she, she's, totally unfazed and at and at some point it was only when we were tracking the vocals that suddenly like the way the click track is not hitting the downbeat you know unless you set it to thin it um that suddenly it was like wait what's going on with this one you know um and but that she can like sing it in these giant stadiums while like being on top of a dinner table and just like at, and she's already played 20 songs and she's gonna play 24 more it's, it's super cool you know there's a thrill for me to see that song performed in this iconic way and um in school you know and it's it's definitely not something i imagine um and Again, like I, I think I made. Sometimes you just make music and you love it. And you don't know what it is, and that's the best thing. And it's, and those are the best pieces of music, I think. And and at least for me, the the ones that end up meaning the most is because like I really fell in love with what I was making. And I think Taylor is really good at spotting those ones, you know. Um, so tolerate it is that kind of thing. It just has a feeling, and she was able to give substance to that feeling and there it is there were just two other songs i thought i'd ask about because they're fan favorites 
and also personal favorites of myself or my family. And uh, they're, they're like bonus tracks that have become like some of the most adored songs of Taylor's. So my personal sort of pet favorite song of what you've done together, or really anything she's she's done practically is uh, Right Where You Left Me, mm-hmm. and, which I read that you had originally had the bet for that and thought of it as a, a Big Red Machine song. Um, and then the other I was going to ask about, which the fans adore, is Would Have, Could Have, Should Have, and um, which is a, a song in a totally different vein, a much more kind of contemporary, less kind of acoustic-y song. Um, is there anything to say about how either of those songs came together? Just because I know people are, are fascinated with those two. Yeah. Um, well, right where you left me was actually, I'm not sure where you read that it was supposed to be Big Roshi, but it was, it was really that I... I made that music for that song when I was going to see, I went to see Justin Vernon um, in Eau Claire during the pandemic to work on some of the Evermore songs with him. And I remember I, I, that I wrote some music that morning I was flying out and I sent it to Taylor and it was just like a feeling in there. And I just had this banjo and I played a banjo and I'm not really a banjo player, but I'm a finger picker. So I can kind of, you know, get in there a little bit. And, um, and she wrote that song and sent it right back. And, and it was, it felt really connected to that time of like, of going to Eau Claire and working on Evermore. So that's, you know, you hear Justin on song, he's, you know, sings harmony on songs like, uh uh ivy and um he he plays drums on on um cowboy like me and and but basically it was that time and the song i remember loving it so right where he left me was it was clearly an amazing song and i think we had already it came late in the game where most of evermore or all of evermore seemed to be complete and right where he left me was late and i think then for that reason i think it got it was left as a bonus track um and it but it quickly after it came out it quickly started to become this song that people are just obsessed with and it has so many words that and it tells this amazing story of someone like frozen in time the time of a breakup collecting dust in a in a restaurant and it's just this really powerful iconic narrative song that that only Taylor is capable of and um and we performed it we, we tried to perform we did perform it in San Francisco and um but it has so many words like one of the it's probably the wordiest song at least that she and I have written it's not the wordiest song that she's written but um and uh so that was hard to perform just to remember all the words but I think it, it's always been one of my favorites that we we made and I do connect it to this time of sort of finishing evermore. Um, and, and then would have, could have, should have, that one is really sort of lightning in a bottle. I think as far as our work together and it was the opposite where it came, we made that song really in the wake of folklore and during it was evermore had been finished, but we, and had just evermore was had just come out i think um and we wrote more songs somehow including what could have should have 
and high infidelity and renegade which became a big red machine song and and we recorded them we recorded the vocals when i was in la at taylor's house for the grammys when folklore won so what could should have really long predated um midnights and i think didn't really fit into the work stream of all that became midnights but it was clearly this like amazing you know it was, it's an amazing song and it, it's again like this epic rock song um with this epic narrative and really such an arc vocally and just really cathartic um and that it's been amazing that it has had such a life of its own in response and i know a lot of people where it's like their favorite song that i've done at least with taylor and um and it was really just a product of like continuing to work and i was messing around with the software at the time playing around with vocal so you hear you actually hear justin's voice sampled in there with this melody i was making through through this sort of experimental software and it kind of like was part of that world at the time um but then again taylor just what she can do um is astonishing and to write you know you can imagine like she's just made folklore and evermore she hasn't even won the grammy for folklore yet and yet there's all these songs that she's just penning you know in the middle of the night or whenever it was um and, I, and you know it almost casually because we we weren't we had no intent to be making a new record or starting that process but it, they just came came and came to be so yeah um and then uh following up with someone like ed who um is uh is kind of getting in a more contemplative vein with you than um you know some of these uh you know records you made in the past with uh, pharrell williams or something um did he when he came to you uh, or if it was a matter of him coming to you uh did he talk about the kind of records he wanted to make or it was probably just one record at first but um did you get a sense of why he wanted to work with you and like what you had done that he felt like was perfect for maybe a, a minor sort of reinvention that he was doing um <clears throat> well we met we we also met through taylor because i worked on the song run that they had written for red that we made a version we, we made a new version it had, it had never come out but we made a version for um the re you know taylor's version of red and and sort of hit it off over email and then we had dinner one night in new york and just really i mean he's really really lovely just a lovable kind of magnetic personality. And he, we just talked a lot about music and I have been amazed by his ability to entertain, you know, 80,000 people by himself yeah. using a looper and kind of was, had been thinking about like, well, what if that music we kind of talked about like well, what what was he imagining and where did he want to go and i think he was imagining getting away from the guitar 
and and maybe like making something more fragile but using other instruments maybe making something that was like leaning away from pop music um and and i was imagining like well what what if it, what if it was my sense of harmony or my sense of the some of the intricacy of how i approach guitar playing but like with his sense of melody and rhythm and um I feel like that's where we ended up going. Although in the middle of making all of this, he had all, a number of really serious, sad family and friend life moments happen, you know, losing friends and his wife had an illness and uh, it kind of really, what became Subtract then took a different turn into something that was very emotional and very confessional and very deeply a, very much about mental illness and sadness and grief and uh and so that was kind of but that was not our intent initially and then at the same time like autumn variations was more like what we set out to do in the first place um and it kind of became like the follow-up record and there were a lot of those songs um that you know, and they're all different kinds of songs. And I would say the main theme is like, eventually, like he's, Ed, Ed is a different sort of artist in terms of how he's worked and the people he's worked with. And in a way, this was, it was hard to, it was hard, somewhat hard for some of the people around him or for his label to embrace him departing in any way from what, was so successful you know so like in a, at times we felt some headwinds you know um but he really what we wanted to do is really just like make songs without compromise and not really think about the commerciality of them because it wasn't what he was doing and he'd done that for so long and he's still so capable of it and he'll do it again but i think with me he just wanted to like be prolific and make lots of songs and put them out, you know, quickly. And that's what we did. Yeah. One thing that, that strikes me as kind of a, a sweet spot for you that I think uh, speaks at least to some degree to your success and, and why people want to work with you um, and why the, the records resonate with people is that um, you're kind of associated with acoustic or organic sounds, uh, which can be deceptive, I think, because uh, you're also like, seem like you're a master software manipulator and uh the, there's a great deal of technology that you have this incredible handle on but somebody just you know listening on the surface might hear uh, a lot of these songs and just think oh that's this is a wonderful song with a guy playing this kind of masterful acoustic guitar and they're not thinking about uh studio manipulation um and uh, so that's that's a wonderful illusion to create if you can create it. And I don't want to say that, that none of the songs are completely sort of organic in the studio, but um, you have this gift for being on top of everything you can do in a studio and but then making uh, records that can sound very uh, woodsy to, to sort of yeah. folklore ethos. Um, and uh, is, is that something that... Uh, I don't know if it counts as an irony or just uh, being doubly gifted in certain ways, but. Um, uh, I, I mean, it's a good question. I feel like I grew up 
you know, I have a twin brother who's classically trained as a classical guitarist and who also plays in the national Bryce and is technically a very gifted guitarist. And I grew, we grew up, I was playing the drums and the bass and he was playing the guitar. We shared a room until we were 18 in event. And like, you know, I also played the guitar and I would emulate his, he became very accomplished as a classical guitarist. And I was not studying classical guitar, but I was imitating you know, playing finger style, but more like writing songs that way. And I, and you can hear that way of playing the guitar, obviously in folklore and other things that I've done where like I, I do, it's funny that band calls me the acoustic specialist because I can play very intricately and fast and very metronomically on, you know, with these patterns or, or really fast strumming or whatever it is, just always been sort of, I enjoy that as much as I also play electric guitar and stuff. I do really enjoy playing all kinds of acoustic instruments. But years ago, I got really into Pro Tools and got into, we were recording our own albums and for the national and then for other, and I was doing it for other friends and gradually started to be interested in experimenting and trying, you know, all kinds of things. And I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm definitely not a wizard on the, at all on the level of certain wizards. Like, you know, there's people that come here that are kind of like writing their own software patches or just doing things you can't even imagine what they're doing. But like, I, I'm curious and I like to play around and I have a lot of raw material. So I will end up sort of like, what if I try that? And what if we do that? And you know, you end up creating layers in songs or creating the basis of songs that are that are surprising somehow um but it's still i would say the crux of what i do is still organically playing instruments you know and trying to write songs on one instrument or on a few instruments where they really work yeah without a lot without a lot of trickery because a lot of music today is made is sample based and made in the computer and it sounds amazing because of that it's like airtight and people are very creative with how they do it but there is i don't know i i i i'm i do still enjoy just like the feeling of playing you know in the room yeah um i should say my zoom's gonna run out three and a half minutes so i'll try to okay I'm not on the the plus forty minute plan, unfortunately. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, if if we get cut off, uh, let's understand. But um, uh, just one other thing I noticed that I thought was funny, um, or maybe not funny, but uh, Rolling Stone uh, named you and your brother tied for the two hundred and forty third greatest guitarist of all time. <laughs> How does it feel to be the two hundred and forty third greatest guitarist ever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... That's funny. My brother, we we sent it to, I think he sent it to me and, and or maybe I sent it to him and he wrote back like low-ish, like low and then hyphen-ish. <laughs> but it's of course a huge honor. Like that's just crazy to even be on the list. But I also find all that so funny. You know, it's just like, it's good journal. It's good like sales. People love lists, you know. Um, and it's cool to be on it and especially that we're on it together because that would suck if one of us was on it and not the other one that would not be good for a family dynamic so we were we were thrilled to be equally 243 
number 243. <laughs> um, last question I'll try to get in. Um, you have uh, had ambitions above and beyond being in a band or producing for other artists. Um, you did, you and your brother did the uh, musical Cyrano for stage and screen. And I'm wondering if uh, you have any more thoughts along those lines or completely other things that you want to get involved in beyond what you already have? I think it would be fun. Like sometimes Justin Vernon and I and Anais Mitchell talk about like, what if, you know, because Big Red Machine is this project we all love, but what if it becomes something else, you know, that exists in a different way or is like a concept that gets developed into like a something for stage or something for some some other way of like experimenting with how music is put out in the world that's more adventurous um but and then yeah i just i'm always just excited by opportunities to make things so i'd love to mike mills the director mike mills i just think is one of my most favorite people i've ever worked with and bryce and i did this soundtrack for come on come on so i'm hoping he wants he's always threatening to come up here and i'm just can't wait till he shows up again because i think he's so brilliant and lovely yeah yeah i forgot about the other soundtrack work too yeah so yeah i got that in there um cool. well, well thank you. Uh, uh we're about to run out but uh, we covered so much ground here so thank you i'm so glad to get to talk with you again and love that, that talk with gracie and glad to hear you're working with her some more so Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, and I'll, I'll see you soon. This has all been very illuminating. We're so grateful to Aaron Dessner for helping generate some of the best music of the last few years and for spending time with us on Variety's Strictly Business podcast. Thanks to you for listening. Please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music. We love to get your feedback. Please go to variety.com. Sign up for the free weekly Strictly Business newsletter. We hope you'll tune in again next week for another episode of Strictly Business. Songwriters and composers want faster payments and financial flexibility for their careers. With Cash Out and Score, Sony Music Publishing is making it faster and easier than ever for songwriters to access available funds and stay informed of their global earnings with real-time data and insights. If you are a Sony Music Publishing songwriter and want to learn more about Cash Out, Score, and the rest of our Songwriters Forward initiatives, visit sonymusicpub.com.